this morning. It was a delight to be with you. I trust that you have enjoyed your few days here at Equip and that God will, every nugget that God dropped in your spirit, every God idea, every strategy, that you will go back to your context of ministry and put some hands and feet to it and allow God's anointing to multiply the fruit of what it'll be because you are responding with obedience. Uh, thank you once again, Pastor Mark, for allowing me to be with you all and just each of you for the privilege of getting to share, for leaning in and just believing what God has for you. I make a promise to you, Minnesota. I'm leaving and head back tomorrow. I get to be with one of your district churches tomorrow, so I'm excited about that. But after that, I head back to Houston, Texas, but I am praying for Minnesota District. You're on my prayer list now, and I in turn ask that you pray for myself, my husband, our church, our under 40 ministers, and the assignments that God has entrusted to us in this season, that we may be faithful to all that God has shared with us. Amen. This morning, we talked about God rekindling the fire on the altar of our heart. And I believe the reason he wanted to rekindle and revive that fire in our heart is so then we, you and I, could in turn turn to someone alongside us and fan the flame inside of them. We can never take somebody else to a place that we first have not been. And this speaks of two things. If you're taking notes, write this down. Intentionality and proximity. Intentionality and proximity. In order for a flame to gain some, that oxygen or air that it needs to, to rekindle and to, to go full blaze, you've got to be close enough, not to touch it, but you're close enough right there, you could touch it. I know many times it's easier to fan the flames from afar and put like comments and follow comments and just send a, a friendly text, but I truly believe that the word from Minnesota di District today as we close is I need you to get close to people. I need you to get close to leadership. I need you to get close to the body of Christ so that you can walk in motion as the body of Christ. Now, this is a biblical context a concept. I believe in backing up everything that I'm going to say with scripture. So allow me. I, I found myself at the beginning of the year, as I have done many years in the past, praying and asking God, what's next? What's next this year? What's the next big event? What's the next ministry? What's the next initiative? And maybe you've prayed that same prayer. What's next? And I felt the Holy Spirit tell me you're asking the wrong question. And he said, the question is not what's next. The question is who's next? Because if you know who is right next to you and who's coming alongside you and behind you, it should frame what is next. So biblical concept. If we look at the book of Nehemiah, as the builders are rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, there's a simple yet profound phrase repeated for a few chapters, and it's just two words. It's next to. So-and-so came next to. The leaders came next to. And you'll see that phrase repeated. And I believe it's, it's God giving us a pattern for the, the, the framework for what it takes to be able to build and carry out his assignment. In Esther, the book of Esther, we have Esther who had Mordecai, not physically, but very spiritually next to her. Mordecai came in and stepped in in a season to encourage Esther, to challenge Esther so that she would think beyond her comfort and convenience and think bigger to the assignment that God had placed her in to fulfill a greater plan for his entire people and nation. I think of Elijah and Elisha who even to the end, the Bible says that Elisha was 
next to Elijah. I believe it was his proximity that gave him access to a double portion anointing. And then to the master teacher himself, if we look at the life of Jesus, if we look at all the conversations Jesus had, he had more conversations across the table, walking between countries, on a boat, than he did sermons on the mount. I believe Jesus teaches us that it's not about events. Events are good, not discrediting any events. They have their place. But sometimes we get so busy doing and planning the work of God, and we don't take time to do life with the people we're ministering with. Jesus came alongside his disciples and he broke bread. He didn't just teach them. He didn't just mentor them. He, he cried with them. He was there with them in those low moments. He was right next to them because he knew if I develop these leaders, if I develop my disciples, that when the big moment happens in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, I will have a team ready to steward the moments and the harvest of the moments. Who is next to you who is next in this season and chapter of your life I want to illustrate this concept with a story found in Luke chapter 1 verse 39 through 45 if you want to join me there I believe it'll also be on the screen Luke chapter 1 verse 39 it says at that time Mary got ready and she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea where she entered Zachariah's home and she greeted Elizabeth and when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. Pay attention to that. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Here we are in Luke 1 and we find Mary, a young girl, a peasant girl. Some believe that she was probably around 15, 16 years of age. For all she knew, she was going to carry on a normal Jewish life. Marry Joseph, start a family, build a home, keep the home. She would be good, the normal Jewish life. But we find her in Luke chapter 1 having to reimagine her future under a greater assignment of God. And I wondered for a moment if after receiving the, the message from the angel, Gabriel, the angel of the Lord telling her that she is now going to conceive the Savior of the world, this is a young teen... And I wonder if for a moment she thought, oh my gosh, what, what are my parents going to think? What is Joseph going to think? Yeah, yeah. So that's what they're saying now, that you just get conceived by the Holy Spirit. And I'm supposed to believe that. What are the people in town going to think? And I wonder if in the midst of this daunting assignment, she was just a little bit overwhelmed. But what I love is at the end, if you read a few verses after that, in, this, in the portion we just read, the last message the angel gives to Mary is he says, and your cousin who is old in age is now with child as well. And I never caught it until recently. I'd always read past that verse, but I believe God was making provision for Mary. I believe he already knew you're really overwhelmed. You're like deer in the heads like look saying, okay, God will do this. Yes, but wait. And all the logistics are turning in her mind, but God knew he was ahead of her. And I believe he put provision. He was already giving her the path to say, hey, Elizabeth, that's where you need to run. Elizabeth is also going through the season. That's who you need to hide and refuge in. 
The Bible says that Mary in this season and in this moment of looking for understanding and support, the Bible says she hurried and she took a nine-day journey to her older cousin Elizabeth's house. Just like Mary, I look at the generation, the younger generations of today for children's workers and youth workers, youth ministers here. I look at our children our youth, our Gen Z, our Alpha Gen, every young generation. I look even at our young adults in our churches. I look at our uh, Gen Z, our young ministers, our really under, under 40 that are still in their starting out in their 20s and their 30s. And I see them as the Marys in the context of the church today. They have so much, they are full of potential, but they are so overwhelmed by the processes of life. I don't know how many conversations I've had with younger ministers under 40, just starting out in 20s, and the thing I always get is I'm stuck, and I don't know how to make it through this. Leading in ministry, serving, validly, very much called of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, but so overwhelmed. I don't know if you've ever noticed how the younger generations, this generation and specifically, deals with depression, loneliness, and anxiety more than any other generation before. I want you to notice something. What is the enemy doing? He is attacking the younger generation in the very area that God promised to anoint and use in the last days. What did he say in the, in the book of Joel? He said, in the last days, your young men will see visions and your sons and daughters will prophesy. So what does the enemy do? The enemy messes with their mind. He messes with the images they see. He throws inundates messages coming at them nonstop, day by day. They can be texting on Google, TikToking, Snapchat, YouTube. All at this seven screens down below, pop, 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 so many pop-up windows, and that is their life. And it's almost like the enemy is saying, I'm going to overwhelm you with all the messaging in this world. I'm going to distort truth so that you do not have the space to hear clearly from the heart of God. You don't know who he is, and you don't even know who you are. Are we seeing that? And I believe that's what the enemy does. And while we live in the age of technology and information, let me tell you something. Our young generations do not need another tablet, another iPhone, another technology, technology advancement or advancement technology. What they need is an authentic relationship, number one, with Jesus Christ. And then they also need an Elizabeth, a spiritual mama or papa that will come right next to them, next to them, and walk them to their purpose in God. This generation is looking. They're hungry. They are so hungry. I know sometimes older generations, I'll speak to you, I'm right in the middle. I am borderline Gen X, millennial, so I, I own the two. I, I own the two. You need me to be old school, I can be old school. You need me to be hip, well, I don't look hip, but I can try just a little bit. I can relate with you. I can have compassion for our young and hip. But let me tell you, they are looking for someone that will reach out. I've had older ministers at times tell me, well, they need to come and call me. They need to reach out to me. Let me tell you, do you, do you wait for your kids to reach out to you? When you got the heart of a spiritual mama and, dada and daddy, you reach out and seek out your kids. 
You're like the father of the prodigal son. I'm going to go out the doorway. I'm going to look down. I'm going to walk down the paved street and I'm going to look for them because I know what God's called them to. And that's what the Marys of this generation, that's what our young adults, our young ministers, our under 40, our children, our youth and our churches, they need leaders, ministry workers, pastors, teachers that will come next to them and they'll say, I will pray with you. I will speak into your life. I will let, I will speak above the situations you're in right now. I will carry you when I need to. I will stretch you. I will ask you the hard questions, but I'm not leaving your side till God fulfills his plan in you. Commitment to the next generation. Who is next? Who is next? Who are the Marys? If I were to ask you who are one or two Marys, when I say Marys, the younger, the younger demographic in your life right now, one or two individuals that just popped up in your mind the moment I said that. That you feel like God's saying, that's, that's a Mary that I put in your life. You need to mentor them. You need to come next to them. You need to open a door for them. You need to speak into their life or develop them. Who are those? Write it down. Put it in your phone. I don't want you to forget this moment. Who are those Marys? Elizabeth provided Mary with wisdom and companionship. But Mary's presence also benefited Elizabeth. You see, the Bible says that when Mary arrived to Elizabeth's house, Elizabeth had been in seclusion for six months. Six months. I don't know if it was a cultural thing. They didn't allow the pregnant women in Jewish communities to leave the house. Bless their hearts. But Elizabeth, also pregnant, became pregnant later in life. And having walked through 15 years of infertility, I resonate with Elizabeth. And I kind of found a little of my story in her because I thought, well, maybe, maybe she's not coming out because she's wrestling. Yes, she's happy, finally get the baby, but this was not on my time watch. This was not my 5, 10, 20-year plan, God. Why didn't you give me the baby or the child when I had energy to run after it? Why didn't you give me the baby when I could stay up and pull the all-nighters? Because they hungry and they eat like their daddy every hour on the hour. Am I really ready for this, God? This is all out of sync. I don't know who I'm speaking to, some pastor, some leader, some ministry worker that you're thinking, I know I'm doing God's assignment right now and I'm being obedient, but it feels all out off schedule, out of timing. And God says, you are exactly where I've called you to be. But I love how God sends Mary to knock on Elizabeth's door and to give her a reason to come out of isolation. You see, sometimes God will send a Mary into your life, someone from a younger generation that might even get on your nerves a little bit because they don't think and dress and act like you or talk like you, but God may send them not so much for the wisdom that you can impart into them, but because God wants to use them to awaken something inside of you. To remind you, spiritual mom and daddy, that God is not finished with you yet. The Bible says that when Elizabeth heard Mary's greetings, that the baby within Elizabeth's womb leapt with joy. What's leaping inside of you? And is it still leaping with joy? Or are you just going through the motions? I'm here, it's a salary, it's a paycheck, or it's because I've been doing this for 10 years, can't hand it off to anybody else, haven't gotten the courage to prepare, develop anybody. I'm here because I can't retire, don't have that set up. Is there still something leaping on the inside of you? And is it leaping with joy? 
without even knowing that Mary was pregnant because they did not have social media. Miss Mary had not done a gender reveal so all the world would know and make its Facebook official. There had been no sonogram picture. She had just received this word nine days ago. But the moment she walks through that door and the moment Elizabeth receives her and greets her and welcomes her into her home, into her space, is the moment the Holy Spirit activates something in Elizabeth and Elizabeth begins to prophesy over Mary. Something was activated on the inside of her. Talk about isolation. There was something stored up more than a John the Baptist. Something prophetic stored up in this Elizabeth. She opened the door to Mary. Let me tell you, the enemy has used insecurity. He's used even the imposter syndrome. He's used fear to stifle the prophetic voice of the body of Christ. And there are some leaders, some fathers and mothers, some younger generation can no longer speak into the dream of someone else because they no longer have a dream leaping on the inside of them. But what if something leaps inside of them? They may take my seat. They may take, they may step into this role. Then you know what? You did your job. Because that's what God calls us to do. He doesn't call us to station ourselves in one place for too long. Because if we do that, we become like the Israelites, stuck to one mindset and one station. He calls us to be there, to grow, to multiply, to develop, to equip the body of Christ so they can then in turn, what does the New Testament say? Walk in those good works. Be the mature, firm body of Christ. And then they walk in their purpose. Some of us need to come alongside the next generation, our spiritual babies in our churches, those unbelievers that are just getting saved. They might be older than you demographically in age, but they are younger than you spiritually. And God's calling you to be a spiritual mom and a spiritual daddy to them and to pour into them, to unite your process. Let your pressing seasons come next to those that have walked through similar seasons and what caused you pain now bring them medicine. We need to cause their dream to leap again. Who is your Elizabeth? I want you to write down two or three names. Who are the first two, three names that came to your mind when I said, who is your Elizabeth? Who's that older generation person, that spiritual mama, daddy, that God has called you to speak into their life as well, to activate something inside of them? Don't allow ministry hurts, comparison, life circumstances to isolate you from the body of Christ when God is calling you to a deeper connection. I'm going to leave with you quickly these three things that I believe practically can help us to revive and fan the flame inside of the person that is now next to us. Number one, engage. Engage. Let your compassion grow some hands and feet. What do I mean by that? We have to create proximity in our schedule in our habits, in our relationships, to engage with others. You know, I, I love social media, able to reach out to family members that live far away. But I found myself kind of falling into a pattern with social media. I, every time I would read something where someone was needing prayer, they had lost a loved one, lost just going through something, and it was just so easy to click. I don't know if we have that emoji, the little care emoji. The little guy that's circling and hugging the heart. And every time I did, I was like, oh, you know, bless your heart. I'm praying for you. Uh, you know, sympathy. I'm feeling that for you. That one right there. <laughs> and one day, I'm going through social media. Happened to be a day there were several of those emojis I was putting on. And I felt the Holy Spirit say, is that all you can do? 
can you let your compassion have some hands and feet? Can you call them, Melissa? Can you go and visit them? Can you ask them out to coffee and just listen to their broken heart? Wow. Yeah, the Holy Spirit speaks to me a lot, and you guys get the benefit. You get to laugh at it, but it's not so funny when he's talking to me. This starts by making time to connect with others. This is what compassion and engagement is, creating space for people in your life. Philippians 2, 1 through 3 says, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose. Sometimes we're so good at ministering together in our churches and ministries, but we're really bad at doing life together. We go to our church or our ministry context, we check in, we do ministry together, and then we check out. And sometimes we don't see or really talk to them unless it's through the lasso of ministry. Can we create space to engage with the body of Christ? Not, and the brother that was in here when I did the session, phenomenal session on the Holy Spirit, so we don't end up using people, but we end up coming next to people and bringing out the greater good inside of them. How do we do this? Ephesians reminds us that it's in community where God equips us. That's what you're doing every week when you disciple young people, children, adults in the word of God. This happens each week. You're helping them heal from their past, helping them reimagine their future under the redemption of Jesus Christ, helping them discover their gifts and their talents so that they find their purpose in the body of Christ. Community also helps grow us. We grow spiritually. We become biblically engaged, spirit-filled. And let me tell you, connecting to the Marys and Elizabeths in your life may not always be comfortable. Sometimes their questions are not only going to annoy you, but they're going to stretch you. And God can use that to be able to give you a new vantage point of what he wants to do in your life and in your ministry. And it encourages us. When we connect with others, we fan the flame inside of them when we engage with them. I want you to think of maybe a few people that might be in this room, maybe a leader that didn't come. Somebody that you serve with in ministry, or maybe if you're a youth pastor, maybe there's a a youth pastor in another city, two cities down. Maybe another under 40 minister to another under 40 minister, a lead pastor of a parent church going through the whole pack thing, and maybe you're, you're someone just starting that. Can you find another minister, pastor, leader, ministry worker that's doing the same thing you're doing in a different church and setting and say, hey, every other month, can we get together on Zoom? Can we call? Can you just text and send them a word of encouragement? Can you engage with them as you do ministry together? Secondly, I believe we got to learn to carry. Galatians 6.2 says, Paul admonishes us to carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carried in the Greek means to carry a burden, to bear up, to keep from falling, to endure patiently. Fanning the flame of someone else is us helping them gain another perspective. And sometimes you got to carry people. I know it's so easy to just point I know it's easy to say, we just need to do this, now go and do it. Let me just point and tell you what God can do. But why why does the author of Galatians say carry? 
carry their burdens because you got to be close to them to carry. There's got to be relationship for you to carry. You got to be vested emotionally into them to carry and say, you know what? I'm going to be right here and I'm going to carry you through this. We carry them. This is a biblical concept. Anytime God wanted to challenge the faith of us or people in scripture, he would tell them to look up so he can widen their perspective. Case in point, if I'm standing right here, I've got a good vantage point of this entire room from here. If I want a greater view of this little, of this community here, I need to step up on the roof. Just don't tell my husband. If I want a greater view of the whole downtown city of Minneapolis or I'm in Minneapolis right now. Okay. Yes, I'm in St. Paul, close enough. Thank you very much. I need to go to the tallest skyscraper building in the downtown city of this city and stand up at the top so I can have a wider view because the higher I go, the greater my vision grows. Some of us are trying to make changes that need this perspective and we're looking right here. And Jesus, I I heard him say, when you come next to people, you've got to be willing to carry them up to a higher perspective. So back to scripture, Psalm 121, 1 through 2. What does the psalmist say? I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Why is he saying I lift up my eyes? This psalm, Psalm 121, is one of the ones, I believe it's one of the first ones, the Psalms of Ascent. And these psalms were the ones that the people of God would use when they went to the pilgrimage for the festivals and they would go to the temple. As I was reading on the commentary on this, some scholars say that even when there wasn't a temple, they would still sing these songs as they would go on that pilgrimage. Ironically, while they were going to the temple, they had to climb. So they are going up, As they are worshiping, they are going up, looking up, changing their vantage point. And when we come next to people, we've got to be willing to do that. We've got to give them a picture, help them visualize a greater context, a greater picture than what they see right now. They've got to look above the mess, above the the church conflict, above the ministry situation, above the sickness, above the offense, above the frustration. Look above that to what God has called you to. It literally takes someone saying, come here, Kristen, you're going to help me out. Let's be careful. Let's not fall. Come, uh, Elizabeth, Elizabeth. I almost called you your sister name. <laughs> Stay right there. Don't go till I tell you. It's, this is what we do. So you want to plan a church. Oh, how ironic. You've planted a church. You want to plan a church. Let me show you. This is what I see. This is what I see God doing. You're going to change that community. Come up a step. Oh, and then wait. And then you are going to raise up other church planners that are going to run with that. And I want you to come up another step. And God has this. And can you see what God's going to do in the families? Can you see what God's going to do through those school and church partnerships? Can you see what God will do once you do that packed church and you revitalize that church and that kids ministry? Do you see? Come on up. Come on up, Elizabeth. I need you to see all of this. This is what God's going to do when you come up. We need to bring our sons and daughters up. We need to bring spiritual mamas and daddies up so they see the greater picture of what God is doing. But it takes us carrying them. If you've been in ministry long enough, you know sometimes leaders don't get it the first time. And you got to be vested in them enough and long enough 
We got to cancel the cancel, can, cancel culture within the church that says once they mess up, I cancel them. I'm no longer investing in them. I give them the silent treatment. Oh, I thank God that he doesn't give us the silent treatment when we mess up on him every single day. We've got to stop canceling our generations and start saying, I know you're falling down. Go ahead and pretend you're falling down. Get a little heavy. I know it's a little weighty, but I got some spiritual muscle. I got some grit. I got some endurance, and I'm going to carry you to what God has for you. Thank you. Thank you. We have to be willing to carry. Everybody wants to point. I heard that in my spirit as I prepared. But God is calling you to be a spiritual and a mother that will carry. Carry that next generation. Take them to higher ground. I end with this point. Lastly, we must use our prophetic voice. To elevate the faith of the next generation, of our Mary and our Elizabeth. This is exactly what Elizabeth did to Mary. You see, Mary stepped in. She began to prophesy over her. And the moment she prophesied, she turned Mary's what-ifs into God will. How do I know that? Because scripture says it. The Bible says that after Elizabeth prophesies over Mary, not even knowing what's going to happen, Mary begins to worship. The next chapter is called Mary's Song. And it's a song that literally Mary hadn't felt the kick of the baby. She hasn't even had this confirmed by a sonogram. Nothing, no physical evidence that says this is actually happening inside of you. But her faith was elevated in that moment that Elizabeth prophesied to her that Mary began to worship and say, thank you because my redemption is near. That's what happens when we come along and next to other people and we elevate their faith. How do we do that? By sharing our story. Our stories, what is Revelation 12, 11 says, we also know it is our testimony. It says they overcame them by the blood of the lamb and the word of their works, their resumes. No, no, no. By their testimony. Every time, why did I share our infertility story this morning or just a piece of it? Why do I share that? Because every time I do, I am doing this to the head of the enemy saying, I am still on top. I still, God still defeated you. He still fulfilled his plan no matter how ugly that season was. Our testimonies talk about God's faithfulness. It affirms his hand upon our life. And it reminds the people that are hearing the testimony or the story that God is still working in them. Let me tell you, the next generation is drawn to the authentic. They want to hear about our wins. Listen. But they also want to hear about our wounds. Sometimes our stories are so veneered that they feel they can't match up or meet up to that expectation. And they need someone that's willing to come next to them and say, you know what, I went through an overwhelming season. Yeah, I battled with anxiety. Yeah, I had that, but look what God did. This was the fountain I ran to. This was my inner reservoir of where I drank from in that season. Show them, stay next to them as they get through that season. Remind them they don't journey alone. I'm gonna close with this. I wanna elevate your faith. This afternoon as we get ready, we're going to close up at the altars. 13 years ago, my husband and I became the senior pastors of the church we're now at. It was the church my husband had grown up in as a kid, as a youth. The, the senior pastor had married us. And so we returned to Houston, Texas to become senior pastors. It was a church that when, at the time we got there, was about to celebrate 70 years of legacy, of, of existence. 
We're the young new kids on the block in our 20s, going into our early 30s when God calls us there. So we are very much probably some of the younger people other than the kids and the youth in that church, leading people that had started with our predecessor, the pastor that was there before us, who had been there 53 of those 70 years. Talk about some big shoes to fill. Don't worry, we didn't try to fill them. We can never fill the, the shoes of our spiritual fathers and mothers, but we can follow them. We get there, and this was a thriving church, great missions church, missions-minded, missions-giving church, great programs and ministries, had multiple buildings, all paid for debt-free. It was literally a pastor's dream. You step in, you're just paying water, gas, light, that's it. So we step into that church, everything was set. But how many know that if we're not careful, success can breed comfort and can stifle vision? We found ourselves operating in autopilot, maintenance mode. We knew how to do ministry because 70 years of ministry had always been done. We came in and just fit in with the systems they had. But how many know history is never meant to be an anchor, but it should be a catalyst that launches us forward to greater things? We got caught up in maintenance mode to the extent that we were more preoccupied with sustaining history than fostering future growth. So in 2019, my husband and I began to fast and pray, did with our board and our leaders. We gathered them together. And in 2020, we had made a decision. We kicked off to the year saying, this is the year with shattered ceilings. We're going to break. We're going to let God do church the way he wants to do church. We wrote measurable goals. We evaluated every area of ministry. You could think every number that we could find with our leaders. And we were committed to spiritual and numerical growth and doing church his way and not through a formula that had just been passed on down to us. So we were ready to make some necessary changes. And that following Sunday, we launched it. We shared it with the church. And then the next Sunday, you know, COVID hit our world. Within one month, our church was completely shut down and completely virtual for the next nine months. We did not get to have in-person ministries open for almost a year. And I remember my husband and I just frustrated in that season, saying, you told us, God, we heard you. We heard you say that this church would shattered ceilings. We were going to shatter ceilings. How can we shatter ceilings when we can't even leave our home? We can't even get in our building. We can't do life with our people physically right there present with them. We were so frustrated. We thought, God, did we miss it? Are we in the wrong place? What is going on? I'll tell you, those nine months were the most challenging of all our ministry outside of the, the loss of our first child. But yet it was also the most rewarding at the same time. Because when you remove the clutter and you create space and margin in your life, you hear clear and you see what's clutter and what's God idea assignment. God taught us how to do church his way. 
God taught us how to do it with the spirit being the one that leads the church. God taught us how to go after souls again and disciple them, not just have them fill pews, but let's walk them in their faith. Let's make sure they're biblically engaged. Let's make sure they get spirit empowered. Let's send them out to the mission field. God taught us a whole new blueprint for how to be, not do, be the church. So when we came back, after those nine months, and we opened up little by little. Okay, God, here we go. We're not going back. I'm so glad we never went back to the church, the tab church we were pre-pandemic. We never looked back. Totally different way of doing church. And when we did, this is where I want to elevate your faith. We created space for the Holy Spirit, and this is what he did. One of our worship leaders, he also is a, a an appliance repairman, was repairing the washer and dryer of a woman who had a mother staying with her who was legally blind. He hears from the Lord. He puts his hands on her to pray for her. She's instantly healed, starts screaming and jumping up and down. I can see, I can see. Healed a legally blind person. There, were no, there was no songs. There was no, what is it called, the synth in the background. This was not a service. This was the church going out and being the church where the places of needs were. You see, when you make room for the Holy Spirit, you take that glory everywhere you go. You don't turn it off. You don't say, well, only in these settings. You say, God, where you go, I'm led by your spirit. I will say what you want me to say. I will do what you want me to do. I am led by the spirit. We had a woman with chronic depression for years. Her brother attends our church. She was watching online, received a word of knowledge through the service, watching online, completely healed of chronic depression. And she lives in Spain. God will cut the borders if you allow him to and create space for it. Had a young man, young dad coming in. He had been coming to our church, him and his family, for a few years, was getting discipled, all that. He had had a pain in his stomach, had to go to the doctor. They found a mass in his stomach. They'd given him medication. He had been on medication for five months. He comes to one of our prayer and miracle night healings that we have once a month. He comes to it. He, he just says, God, I'm here. As he's leaving, nothing happens. But as he's leaving in the parking lot, he feels a burning sensation in his stomach. The next week, he has a checkup follow-up appointment with his doctor. The doctor takes the scan, the ultrasound, and says there is nothing there what did you do where did the mask go what did the tumor did he says I'm healed I am completely healed took him off of meds it was completely gone and hard off the press just a month ago after our time of fasting and prayer in our church God healed two men of stage four cancer literally doctor had given one months to live and they go back and the doctor does this the scans and says this was you four months ago this is you now the cancer is completely gone that's what the Lord does when we create space for his Holy Spirit why do I tell you this to give glory to God but also to elevate your faith pastors leaders ministers whether you're in that youth service or that kids room let there be room for the Holy Spirit to move and he will move I'm gonna invite you to stand with me. We shattered ceilings that year, but it was not in the way we had expected. I'm so glad we did not return to church as usual, but we chased after the more of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Let me remind you, our stories and our miracles are not just for us, but they should impregnate somebody else with faith. Our stories and the miracles that happen every time we share our story, and it's actually his story of glory, every time we do, we should cause that person next to us to worship in the place of their worry. We should cause them to climb in the midst of crisis when they want to give up. We should cause something to leap on the inside of them to where they hear the voice of the Lord say, I know you don't see it, but I'm not finished with you yet. There's still something on the inside of you. Who's God asking you to come alongside? Who is God asking you to come alongside? I'm going to ask you three questions, and then we're going to open up these altars. We'll take a few minutes, and then I'm going to turn it over, and they can take it from there. But I know what the Lord showed me for this district as I prayed. And there were three questions that I felt in my spirit. When in the past year have you piled on too much stuff that you have missed opportunities to intentionally engage with those next to you? Some of us, the altar calls to go back to our offices on Monday and look at our schedule and say, God... Forgive me that I have not made room for you and I have not made room for the people you have sent in this season of ministry to minister to. What does it look like for you to create sufficient space in your life to develop others, to engage, carry, and elevate their faith? What legacy might emerge if you allowed more space for those next to you? So this is where we're going to land. Because I believe when we take a step of faith, that's obedience and action. And God responds to that. As I prayed for you last week, I saw an image of the dry bones on the ground, disjointed, disconnected. It didn't make sense to me until Pastor John shared what he shared yesterday with the passage of the Valley of the Dry Bones. But this is what God told me. He said, Minnesota, right now, ministry and even circumstances in your culture, pandemic, has isolated many. They're doing ministry, but their ceiling and their top has been their lack of connecting and unity. And I heard the Spirit of the Lord say, if you will make space for the Holy Spirit once again in your district as a family of God, I will connect you. Your church will reap the fruit of your unity and connection. What does it say? When the oil ran over Aaron, it didn't just get on his head. The head and the leadership, it fell all the way through on his clothing, his outer garments. Because when the oil runs, it's going to affect every ministry, every generation, every area in our community and in our life. And I felt the Lord say, I am breathing in a wind. If they create space for the Holy Spirit, I will connect those pieces. And Minnesota will be a moving, thriving church. I literally saw a person walking. That's you, Minnesota. And let me tell you this. There's going to be a season you're going to walk. And then there's going to be a season you're going to run. And then there's going to be a season that you're, you're running and there's people next to you as an army. That's what God's raising up in Minnesota. So if that's you right now, I want you to lift your hand.